Well, I suppose she uh, addressed it before you could even ask it. Thanks for those WhatsApp voice notes. Let's get to straight into our health talk. Let me welcome Dr. Nelson Igaba. He's a senior technical specialist for voluntary medical male circumcision at Right to Care. Dr. Igaba, good morning and thank you for your time today. Good morning, Kathy. Uh, thank you for having me on your show and good morning to your listeners. Let's talk about the link, you know, very basic. Uh, the link between cervical cancer and circumcision. Why are the two interlinked? Yes, thank you very much for that question, Kathy. Uh, yes, there is a link between cervical cancer and uh, medical male circumcision. And uh, this comes from the scientific evidence that has shown that uh, when men are circumcised, they reduce the risk of spreading uh, human papilloma virus. Human papilloma virus, which is uh, commonly abbreviated as HPV virus, it is a virus that has been um, shown that it, tra- it causes cervical cancer in women. So men who are circumcised, they basically um, do not spread. Uh, human papilloma virus to female, and also um, uh, they, they do not harbor it because of the removal of the foreskin. So when you do not spread um, human papilloma virus to females, uh, that means that females will not be infected by human papilloma virus, which causes cervical cancer later in life. So that's why I try to care. We urge uh, female partners to request their men or they should support their men to get circumcised so that they remove, uh, they, they completely remove their foreskin mm. so that they will not harbor the human papilloma virus and subsequently their partners will not be infected by this virus. It is such a personal decision, you know, for one to choose to get circumcised or not. Oftentimes, how do you encourage people to be having uh, these conversations? I suppose at the very least, so as to also not offend um, your partner. Yes, uh, I, th- I think it is important to have this conversation because uh, medical male circumcision does not only, you know, uh, help with preventing the infection of human papilloma virus. There are many other benefits. Uh, that uh, medical male circumcision come with. Um, It has also been scientifically proven that medical male circumcision prevents the transmission of HIV by 60% from an HIV-infected female partner to a male partner. Uh, The other benefits that have been um, documented is, of course, when you're circumcised, you have better hygiene than someone who is not circumcised. Circumcision also prevents um, some STDs, some sexually transmitted infections, like those ones that cause wounds or ulcers. And again, um, circumcision has also been shown to reduce the risk of getting cancer of the penis. So when you're having such discussions and showing you know, partners that there's multiple, there are multiple benefits that uh, your partner can enjoy by getting just that once-off procedure, that takes less than 15 to 30 minutes to be done and the healing is quicker than anticipated. I think that's a conversation worth having at home. Of course, it's also important for us to look at where does the HPV virus come from and uh, how do men become carriers of, of, of this virus? Yes. So uh, HPV virus, um, it's a 
resident uh, in male, you see, uh, if I would, ex- I would explain the male organ uh, that is not circumcised, you have that uh, skin that covers the head of the penis. So in between there, there is a most moist, soft uh, skin where you have HPV, and uh, HPV is sexually transmitted. So uh, the more a person um, um, engages in sexual intercourse with multiple partners, the more they they get uh, accumulation of HPV virus. And what is very interesting is that if a man is infected with the human papilloma virus, they will not know because it does not show any signs and symptoms. And ideally, we do not test for it in in clinical setting. So that's why it's quite scary because someone will be carrying the virus and, you know, transmitting it to multiple people if they're having multiple partners and having unprotected sex. But for them, they will never know that they have um, HP virus, uh, human papilloma virus uh, that they are transmitting. How is it detected in women? What are the signs and symptoms? Yes, so that, that brings us to how um, cervical cancer comes. So um, cervical cancer... Um, it is caused by human papilloma virus, and there are two um, two types of human papilloma virus or two uh, families that are responsible for the cervical cancer. It is 16 uh, human papilloma virus 16 and 18. So what happens is that if uh, someone um, gets sexual intercourse, especially during early puberty, uh, when uh, the area of the cervix um, the cervix is the mouth of the womb. So when the cells there are growing during that time, and when you get human papilloma virus infecting those, you know, growing cells, what happens, you find like these cells, uh, they multiply abnormally, and then they start causing what we call precursors, precursors of cervical cancer. These are changes in the cells around there that are not yet cancers, but that can go on and become cancers um, um, over the time. So when you get frequent or multiple infection of these uh, cells around the cervix, the mouth of the womb that I explained, then these cells keep changing and abnormally so they continue changing. And over the years, if not detected early, uh, then they can go on to to become uh, advanced cancer of the cervix. So what, what we recommend is that um, uh, of course, there are three layers of prevention. Uh, one is the primary prevention, whereby we are, we are calling men to circumcise so that we prevent the transmission of, uh, of, of, of human papilloma virus. The other one, of course, is through vaccination of uh, uh, prepubertal girls against HPV. And these are, you know, it is being done in, in integrated school programs girls around the age of 11 and 12 being vaccinated so that before they get the HPV, they are prevented, you know, from getting the infection. Um, the, the other primary, uh, of course, measures is to limit sexual partners because the more sexual partners you have, the more at risk you are to be exposed um, to, to this. Then the second, the secondary measure is when if someone has already been infected with HPV, how do we detect it and how do we detect that the cells around the cervix are changing in shape? So we do what we call screening. Screening is whereby you look at people who are at risk of getting a disease, but you screen them so that you see 
if they have gotten the disease, but they have not yet developed the symptoms. And um, there are many ways of screening people. There's something called pap smear. Um, this is uh, in full, it's called papanicolu smear. Is whereby a lady goes to the to the hospital, most especially from the age of 25, or a clinic, and uh, they examine her, of course, her reproductive system, and they take a small sample from the mouth of the womb or from the cervix, and they send it to the laboratory to see if the cells there are changing to have um, a risk of developing later into cervical cancer. There is also a, a quick one, which uh, they just apply what we call um, acetic acid or vinegar that we use in kitchen, and they look at the womb, and if the cells they are changing into white, it will be an indication that these cells are not normal, and then they will, they will institute some management there later. So indeed, cancer of the cervix is, uh, is a cancer that is very preventable, but is a silent killer, and the reason why it's a silent killer is that you will get into these precursors um, like these cell changes early in life, but it will take five to 30 years before you develop the full-blown cancer or advanced cancer. But all this time, mm. you will not have any symptoms. Sure. And, and is, is HPV always detected in pap smears? Because as you're saying, um, in as far as symptoms are concerned, it can be dormant for a very, very long time. Yes. So we, we, we rarely test for HPV uh, through pap smear. What we do when we are doing pap smear, we are trying to look at the changes in cell that this HPV could have caused. Uh, ideally, we would have done a test, what we call uh, HPV DNA testing, but this test is quite costly and it may not uh, tell us much in terms of what is the next action in terms of treatment. That's why we do a pap smear, which will tell us that the cells of the cervix are changing abnormally. There are many abnormal ways that they can change and it tells us that this is leading into danger. So we have what we call a low-grade intraepithelial neoplasia and high-grade. So the high-grade ones are the ones that we get worried with because they are the ones that you know tend to run into cancer. Um, so, so, so that's when we institute treatment immediately. And again, it is a treatable condition because when we find it early in terms of those um, low-grade uh, intraepithelial neoplasia, like the changes in the cells have not really been that bad. We can institute treatment like what we call cryotherapy. This is like freezing that area so that those cells that are abnormally growing, um, uh, they, 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 can, they can be frozen or we can cut them out, you know, so that what is remaining is a healthy, it's a healthy tissue. So all I'm trying to say is that the best is to screen, dictate early, and institute treatment. Mm. And without forgetting that the primary one whereby we, we circumcise men, we vaccinate young girls, those are the primary ones, and educate the community mm. on the risk of cervical cancer. Mm. I want us to talk about this issue of vaccinations and getting a vaccine against uh, HPV. Of course, right now is not really a great time to be talking about vaccinations in the country, uh, given you know the kind of uh, debate that is coming out of the COVID-19 vaccine. But let's talk yeah. about the HPV vaccine and the role that it plays in in minimizing um, the, the, the spread of, of HPV? 
Yes, thank you very much, Cathy. You know, there are many things that we may not um, have control over, and we know that uh, our behavior change is one of the difficult things to institute within the community. So uh, that's why having a vaccine is such a bullet that we cannot ignore. So um, having to vaccinate young uh, young uh, girls at the age of you know 11 and 12 I think it, it, it gives them security and prevent, because they have already, uh, the assumption is that they have already not engaged in sexual activities for them to be exposed to HPV. So we are trying to protect them from getting infected from HPV before they get into the years of sexual activity. So it's something that we would like to recommend and would like to promote. Indeed, vaccines have been here with us for ages and we, we as adults, we have benefited from vaccines from the ages of polio, measles, chicken, pox, and all that. So here coming also COVID-19 vaccine, like you mentioned, it being a, a touchy subject, but we need to agree that prevention is better than cure. And if we have an opportunity to prevent, we better go for it. So does the HPV ex- vaccine ensure and guarantee that the individual then will be protected from contracting HPV for their entire lives. That's correct, Cassie. Uh, the, the, the HPV vaccine has been uh, proven effective in preventing uh, 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 people who get it from getting exposed to, 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 to HPV virus. Let's talk then about just the 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 infection rate uh, of HPV. It's considered one of the most common sexually transmitted infections, and yet it's still very much under the radar. Why do you think that is the case? Yes, uh, the reason is that uh, Cassie, we remember I told you that we do not test for HPV. Uh, we do not test for it, and again. Um, there is not much test in the clinical um, uh, field. Uh, there is, of course, the DNA testing, which is very costly, and it does not give us a lot of clinical relevance. But the, 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 the effects of HPV are the ones that are dire. For example, if I can give you a few statistics from the National Cancer Registry report of 2017, um, cervical cancer is the second um, mostly uh, uh, reported cancer among females after after breast cancer. And 7,725 cases were recorded during that year. And to even make it you know, worse, 85% of these cases were black females. And uh, the case fatality rate, you know, it is above 50%. Out of the 7,725 uh, females who got HPV, 5,630, you know, um, died, you know, from cervical cancer. Like I told you, most the challenges we have is that we we may not have a lot of opportunities to screen early, and you find many women come to the facilities when they have advanced um, cancer of the cervix, uh, which there you will not be left with many options in terms of treatment, and then they end up dying. And and those figures are really what you're trying to attend to, to make sure that we have less women dying, less women being diagnosed with cervical cancer. We're in conversation with Dr. Nelson Igaba. He's a senior technical specialist for voluntary medical male circumcision at Right to Care.
and this conversation raising awareness about uh, cervical cancer, but most importantly, you know, the role of circumcision in limiting the spread of the HPV virus, which, you know, we know is uh, really crucial in terms of uh, leading to the development of cervical cancer. I'll take your calls on 011-714-2006. That's the number to use to get in touch with us this morning. Uh, you can ask Dr. Iba, Igaba, rather, whatever questions uh, you have, and he will be responding to those questions. On the WhatsApp line, the number to use 0614-104107, and we'll take your messages and voice notes on that line. You can send questions on the subject, and on Twitter, it's at SFM Radio. The hashtag there is hashtag SAFM Talking Point. So, Dr. Igaba, you are working with an organization that primarily deals with voluntary circumcisions. What are some of the common questions that you have people uh, asking when they come to you or the issues that you're having to deal with when people come to you? Thank you, Cassie. Cassie that, that's quite a good question. Yes, I work with right to care right to care is a South African-based and, uh, non-for-profit organization. Of course, we are funded uh, by many uh, uh, funders, but majorly by TEPFA, of course, to support the South African government uh, in um, implementing HIV AIDS programs and other uh, other programs. And currently, of course, we are working in the COVID-19 response. Uh, one of our expertise is, uh, of course, rolling out um, a voluntary medical male circumcision program, which we have worked in for the past um, uh, more than 10 years. Um, so the, 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 common, the common questions, of course, we deal with uh, when we are trying to, to, to talk to men, to, you know, to bring them into our facilities to, 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 to perform circumcision, is issues related to fear, okay, fear of uh, injections, uh, issues related to the stigma. You know, you find like older males who have not circumcised, they, they fear that uh, they will be looked at like, why now? Why late now? Then um, the, the, the other issue, um, especially in communities where there is a culture, um, a pra- a practice of culture or traditional male circumcision, uh, you'll find like uh, there is still some uh, stigma related to uh, having a medical male circumcision uh, rather than um, traditional male circumcision. Mm. However, Do- I try to care. So, sorry, Dr. Gaba, sorry. I, I lost track of time. It's, it's after uh, 11.30. We'll continue with this uh, conversation in a moment. I quickly have to go to Anne Musa, who's standing by with the latest news headlines. And good morning. Thanks, Kathy. Good morning. In the headlines, the ANC says it has removed several people from its councillor candidates list for the forthcoming local government elections in line with its step-aside rule. Action SA leader and former Johannesburg Mayor Herman Mashaba has launched the party's election manifesto in Newtown in Johannesburg. And nearly all 8,000 residents of a town in Myanmar have fled following fighting between the army and militias opposed to the military coup earlier this year. I'll have details on these and other stories at 12. Kathy Motlasana on SAFM. 
It's our health talk feature for today and we are shining the spotlight on cervical cancer, specifically the role of HPV in contributing to uh, cervical cancer and we know that HPV mostly transmitted by men who are not circumcised. Dr. Nelson Igaba is our clinician for today and he'll be taking all of the questions that you have on the subject. Uh, Dr. Igaba, uh, apologies, I had to cut you off there uh, quite quickly before we had to, we went to the news headlines. I realized I just I wasn't paying attention to the time. It really is my fault. But uh, perhaps you want to just conclude the thoughts that you're making about the concerns that people often have when it comes to medical circumcisions. Uh, thank you, Kathy. Before we broke, I was just telling some of the uh, the, the listed barriers that we have identified from men and. Mm. Uh, at, at Right to Care, actually, we have we have found ways of, of breaking this barrier. For example, men fear pain, but uh, we would like to reassure men that uh, there is no pain involved in circumcision. So when, when you come to our facility, what we do, of course, we check you, we make sure that you are uh, medically and physically fit to under, undergo the procedure, and when you're deemed eligible and, and, and physically fit, then... Uh, we numb your penis with what a local anesthetics. You know, you just feel, of course, the first prick uh, when we are giving the local anesthetics, and thereafter, throughout the procedure, even while cutting to remove the foreskin, you will not feel any pain. And uh, thereafter, after we discharge you, we give you some painkiller. And for those people who are working, we even endeavor to make sure that we, we, we give them some time off or we, 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 we educate them on how to to work around, um, depending on the nature of work that they work with. So uh, for, for men who have stigma over, you know, circumcising after after an age, we, 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 we bring them to our facility when they are fellow men of the same age. We even work over the weekends to make sure that we accommodate such people. And if there's any man there who would like, you know, to join us to come and be circumcised, or a female partner would like to encourage their men to be circumcised, just send a please call to the number 082-807-6152. I will say 082-808-6152. If you send a please call here, we will call you, locate where you are in the country, and, you know, uh, orient you to the nearest facility where you'll get a quality uh, medical male circumcision. All right. Let me kick off the call lines then with Anonymous, who's calling us from Durban. Anonymous, good morning. Uh, good morning, Cathy. Uh, the doctor mentioned uh, the HPV DNA test, which, which doesn't have any real significance for, you know, for the patient. Uh, I just want to find out whether he, whether he knows about the mRNA test that detects the E6 and E7 oncogen. That's the cancer-causing gene. Uh, so once that is detected, uh, treatment can start start immediately. I'll listen on the radio. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Dr. Igaba? Thank you very much for that question uh, from the listener. So uh, I don't have much experience with that test, that test but uh, what I'm trying to say is that uh, it is futile for you to do a test of an HPV in a male because there is no treatment that you're going to institute unless you find like a male is already developing lesions like uh, uh, penile warts or, or, or things of the sort. Same applies to, to female partner. That's why we focus our resources to test that will, uh, will, will inform our clinical, our next clinical uh, step. 
when you do like a pap smear, like I said, and you see there are changes in the cells, immediately you'll be able to know what will be the next step in terms of uh, treating or curing these, some of these lesions. So I would, I would not really encourage to put a lot of resources, in term, especially for males, because uh, the implication of doing the test will not give you any clinical um, um, next step. Okay. Uh, mm. To Fosloris now, Mutawun, good morning. Good morning, Katie. How are you? I'm well, thank you, sir. Go for it. Thank you, and good morning to the doctor. Good morning, Mutawun. Thank you for calling. Yes. Thank you very much, doctor. Doctor, thank you very much for, you know, uh, for my first time, I've received this information, and uh, I now understand, because, you know, people doesn't explain to people, especially uh, when you explain about the issue of physical cancer, and we as men supposed to protect our women. So uh, I, I really want to applaud you, doctor, the way you have explained it. I hope and believe most of men who are listening, they have understand what is happening. And lastly, doctor, how do one become an activist in uh, 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 helping or maybe uh, 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 taking a weight out there to other men to say, guys, let us go and do this. Let us do this. It's supposed to be done. It's, it's uh, uh, protecting our women. How do one become an activist on that one, doctor? Thank you very much, Tatem uh, Tau, for those compliments and for that question. Uh, indeed, indeed, Tatem Tau, you can start uh, from wherever you are within your small circles of men to make sure uh, uh, that you, you tell them about how a silent killer cervical cancer is and how uh, uh, how um, it affects women socially because when women have advanced cervical cancer, what happens to them is that they are socially disconnected from the rest, you know, because advanced cervical cancer can cause mailing, can cause bleeding. Sometimes if it is very advanced and it creates a hole between where, you know, your, 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 your feces are stored and you find like you know, uh, fecal matter is coming from the 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 the, the, the vagina. So so it becomes in, um, emotionally and and psychologically and socially uh, uh, detrimental to the woman. So if there is any way men can can come up to support you know women uh, in making sure that we stop cervical cancer, if one should get circumcised, and of course we should support all the other programs of the National Department of Health in terms of prevention of cervical cancer. So you can also um, uh, reach out to us at Right to Care the Temtau, wherever you are. We really work a lot with the community, so creating demand, I think that will be another way we could, uh, we could, we could, we could uh, work together to create the, the activism in the community. Mm. Dr. Igaba, just a, another request here for you to repeat that number. And this is for the WhatsApp, the WhatsApp number that you said people can use uh, if they do actually want to start the conversation and, and have themselves or encourage their partners to come and get circumcised. So you can send a please call to 082. This is our call center number. We shall call you back. I'll say 082-808-6152. Either call in, send a please call. We'll call you back. We'll locate where you are, and we shall uh, allocate. We can even come and collect you with our own transport, and this is 
uh, for free. The circumcision is for free. We'll follow you up until when you are healed and make sure that you get the best quality. That's absolutely amazing. It sounds like an incredible service uh, that you guys are offering, uh, Dr. Igaba. Let me go to Peter. Peter, good morning. Good morning, good morning, Kathy. Good morning to the good doctor there. Mm. Um, I must agree with the previous caller that the doctor is explaining very clearly and very nicely. But I came in late into the show and I need to ask two questions. Um, I have herpes. I want to know whether herpes is curable in the first place. And secondly, does herpes, uh, will herpes have any effect on a woman in terms of cervical cancer and other things? Thank you. All right, Peter, thanks for that question. Dr. Igaba? Yeah, thank you very much for that question. So um, I've not seen personally any uh, association between herpes and cervical cancer. And uh, um, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't think that there is. But uh, definitely, uh, if there is, we'll definitely reach out to the caller and and and, and explain to him better. But uh, uh, what I know that herpes is very treatable. You just need uh, to get to your clinicians, and uh, we use antiviral uh, treatment to to treat uh, the herpes disease. And uh, we monitor you for the clearance of the disease. So it's very treatable. I would recommend him to reach to his uh, general practitioner or clinician for further uh, management. Mm, all right. In case it ends, Jeremiah, good morning. Good morning, Good morning, to your Good afternoon. Um, uh, I'm, I, I come from the medical background. This uh, year, 21 years, and mostly I've practiced in, in, rural, in a rural setting. My most previous, my most recent stint was in a place called Flagstaff. Uh, it's in the border between KZN and Eastern Cape. Now, when, when, when awareness grew about cervical cancer uh, a couple of years ago, then there was uh, <coughs> vaccines and things like that. Uh, <coughs> then many people started being aware and, and more and more and more and more. But still, <coughs> I don't know if, if the doctor would agree with me, cancer is still, still has a face attached to old people. But its beginnings start <coughs> right and when women, when girls become women and all of that, it talks to the core of female reproduction in basically in South Africa. For example, uh, take the number of people listening to this and understanding, processing and understanding this information. It is very useful. Uh, as, as a clinician myself, the explanation that Dr. Egbert gave about uh, the transmission clears up a lot of mist for me over the years. And again, in the order, we'll always blame Umfazli in the right, then if Malago. There are so many layers to this thing. Just now, the government is complaining about teen pregnancies, children under 15, and all these things, the laws, etc., etc. Et As a solution, we complain all the time. 
I think this is a, a perfect opportunity for the state, for society to recognize the beginnings of cancer are when children start having sex. This is when they start getting pregnant. You see, become cancer much later on in life. They get pregnant, being exposed to this virus early on in life. Now, I hate these words. Uh, let's have this conversation, this space, challenges. Man, we are way past crisis point in South Africa. You know, if, if, you are, if you're looking at opening the gate for 12 year olds to have abortions, 10 years later, you're having problems with it. We are way, 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 you know, solutions. One, communities must form as many NGOs as possible because the state has lost capacity to deal with these things. Not, not by their own doing. This is not a political thing. The only way, truly, anyone in the community who knows how to download an NGO form and has some other kind of vision about this, get tags for kids in schools. All right. Go out there and mm. teach. Hello. Yes, Jeremiah. I'm, I'm just queuing you to wrap quickly. Oh, okay. Mm. Solutions. Intensive education. You know, instead of hearing about political squabbles, etc., etc., and then we hear that we have a crisis with kids at school, how about you actually pay attention to the problem and use your resources to educate people? The English we speak on this channel now. I don't believe on the salah. All right. Jeremiah, I'm, I'm going to have to leave it there with you for today. But I think you've made you've made the point really about, you, you know, how much it's going to uh, take a collective effort from different community members, uh, you know, starting different organizations to help educate. And that's really the big issue. Education, 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 uh, raising as much awareness as possible about even, you know, diseases such as H- HPV and why it is important uh, for men to get circumcised. Luvuyo in Cape Town, let me come to you. Good morning, Luvuyo. Good morning. Good morning, ma'am. Uh, Doc, uh, I would like to ask you, my, my daughter, she was, I think she was 10 years mm. Uh, when she was given a, a tablet at school that says, but I found out later that it was a, a Desmond Tutu Foundation that was giving the, 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 the medication. I think it's a, something like vaccine, but it's a medication. It's a, something like tablet. Tablet. So they say, so when I, I phoned them, I phoned them and asked them, what is it for? They say it's for cancer. I was surprised. And then I told my daughter not to take it anymore. Because I never heard about that. And then mm-hmm. I want to know if the doctor knows about that. Okay. Yeah. So th- thanks for that question, Luvuyo. Uh, Dr. Igaba? Uh, thank you, Kathy. Uh, maybe going back to, uh, I don't know if it was the previous caller, um, uh, he was really raising some some uh, some key issues there. So whatever intervention that you come with uh, and you want to roll it out in the community, the intervention has to take care of the culture, the religious and the social aspects of the community. So I try to care, I think we, we have that in mind, that whatever interventions we, we bring in question, they need to take care of that. And indeed, he's right, that there need to be a lot of primary prevention, whereby there is community, you know, 
uh, education because some of the risk factors of cervical cancer you have uh, LSX debut, um, you know, when people are HIV positive with immune suppression, smoking, you know, bad diet and all that, multiple sexual partners. So all these, of course, need behavior change, and that's why community education is very important. Coming to the question of um, our colleague on the line, I would really not insinuate to know what tablets were given, but uh, most likely that's, that, that's not the vaccine because the vaccine is not given in the form of tablets. And uh, I think it, it, it will be hard for me to tell what exactly was given to the daughter. But uh, uh, in medical practice, of course, um, we, have, we know that before you give to a minor something, it is always important to seek a consent from either the parent or the guardian. I think I think that that that's what should have happened at that point. Mm, Thank you. Mm, mm. Okay, okay. Thank, thanks for that clarity. And and my understanding is that um, these days you do have this HPV vaccine offered to learners at schools. Is that the case? Yes, I think it's being rolled out to the integrated uh, mm. school health program. Okay, yeah. okay. But like you're saying, it is still very important for people to uh, make sure that they have consent uh, on this issue. So it can't just be given to your child without you as a parent knowing or even having authorized it. Yes, the Department of Health, of course, has taken care of all those aspects. Whenever mm. these programs are being rolled out, all those aspects are being taken care of. All right. Let's go to Durban. Uh, Nosisa, you're calling us from Durban. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning, Nosisa. Thanks for calling. Okay, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I just have a, a question. I heard about this HPV vaccine last year. I have a daughter who is now 14 years. So um, early this year, I decided to take her to one of the clinics, a clinic, to to get a vaccine. She, uh, they then administered the first dose. At that moment, she was 13. Um, they advised that she gonna need two doses of uh, the vaccine. Uh, then she was supposed to go back for the second dose end of August. But then it had just slipped my mind. Uh, I was just wondering if it's still possible to go take that second dose. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I would still recommend that uh, uh, it goes for the second dose. And uh, the, the, the really um, principle around you know the first and the second dose of the vaccine is similar to what um we we are doing with covid is that uh the first the first dose is what we call it primes your immunity like it it awakes and up your immunity and you know you start producing those soldiers or the antibodies to fight against the disease that you have not yet been infected with whereas the second dose will be will be there to boost to boost that immunity so that you have a robust you know uh, immunity to 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 deal with the disease so I would I would recommend that you you consult your your nearest practitioner and again it will be important to have to complete the the the, the vaccine. Mm. Okay, right. thank you for that, um, doctor. Uh, sorry. So uh, they said because for the first dose she was thirteen, she's now fourteen, and I've heard that uh, once she's fourteen, then she's gonna need three doses. I don't know if if she needs to take three while she started at the age of 13, 
or she must continue with the two doses? Uh, I, I would advise you that you, you, you speak, uh, you call us directly so that you can seek guidance and we'll connect you to the, to the experts who are working on the vaccine so that they can give you further guidance on this. Okay, okay. No, thank you very much. All right. Okay, no, thanks for the call. Uh, let me go to Ruedeport Liche. Good morning. Uh, good morning, uh, Kathy and the guests, and thanks for taking my call. Um, I've got a quick one. I can see the time. Okay, I've got two questions. If I can just ask the first one, um, I recently lost my mom due to cervical cancer. <laughs> Sorry. I'm emotional. Uh, you know, it started to show the sign in about uh, like two months where there was a, a she was bleeding heavily. But uh, little did you know that it had to be cancer. She also didn't know. Um, she thought that she's, she's, because she was on menopause, she thought she, it has to do with a menopause uh, treatment that she was taking. And then when, she took it, when we took her to the doctor, uh, the doctor said uh, she's in 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 the in, in the cervical cancer stage three something like that, and then we started the treatment around there. And then uh, on the second month, when she went, she was told that she's on another stage immediately, and uh, it shocked us that it it, it it was moving so fast. And then the, the following month, uh, she couldn't even talk or, or eat. And then when I asked the doctor, she told me that the, the, this uh, cancer of hers, because I asked her why it is so quick, yet I know some of some people, they, they stretch like taking five years or whatever with the cancer. Then she said that this hair is very aggressive. So I would like to know why was it so aggressive? Because it, it just left us in the shock. And then the last question is, um, I just want to confirm if it's the true that cancer is a gene generational, if I may put so, that if uh, it happens that there's a, a sibling, um, in, 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 um, it can go to us or to our children. Thank you. All right, Lise, thank you so much for that call and condolences on the, on the loss of your mom. Uh, Dr. Igaba? Uh, thank, thank you, Lise, for the call. And indeed, I'd like to join Kathy to, to deliver our sympathies and condolences for the loss of your mom. And uh, that's why I said earlier that uh, uh, cervical cancer is a silent killer. And uh, by the time you start seeing symptoms, most of the time it is advanced. And uh, some symptoms are very nonspecific that uh, some people miss them. For example, uh, the, the, the common symptoms is abnormal uh, bleeding, uh, either bleeding during sexual intercourse or you've been all normal and all of a sudden you start bleeding during sexual intercourse. Uh, you start bleeding when you're taking a bath, uh, when you're doing what you call douching, you bleed in between your periods, you have low abdominal pain, you have pain, you know, sometimes when uh, uh, passing urine or pain, when you are, you know, you're having intercourse. So those are some of the signs that are advanced stages. And uh, she asked uh, an important question that why did it run so fast? So um, it depends, of course, on your immunity at the end of the day. We have seen uh, very young girls, you know, in the age of 20s who are HIV positive, you know, having cervical cancer. And uh, we didn't have much time, of course, to discuss on how to do the screening pattern depending on your risk profile, because someone who is HIV positive, regardless of their CD4, it has shown a big association between 
you know, cervical cancer and being HIV positive. So we do not uh, know the status uh, she was in at that time, but there are very many factors that can accelerate or the progression of cervical cancer. So uh, what I would like to call upon uh, uh, ladies is to make sure that at least they go through the screening. The screening. If you are no more and you don't have any risk factors, have at least, uh, and you are above 25, have at least a pap smear every 10 years. But if you are HIV positive uh, and um, you, you have a pap smear and there is no uh, lesion or there is no abnormal cells, then it should be repeated every three years. And if there is any abnormal abnormality of any sort detected from your first pap smear, then of course this should be repeated every year at least uh, until there is nothing or until they remove your womb or until you are above the age of 65. So, um, and again, I'd like to repeat the men out there, let's continue protecting our, 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 our female partners uh, by going getting that once of procedure uh, uh, circumcision you know i like uh listening to this actor kahiso medupe who took a step forward and uh, he said that he took the decision to circumcise because he wanted to protect his wife from getting cervical cancer and that's sure. what all male should go out there and say and do all right dr gaba let me thank you so much for your time today that number for people who are asking for it zero eight two eight zero eight six one five two so that number again zero eight two eight zero eight six one five two you can send a please call to that number you can call it and they will assist you if you need further guidance thank you so much for being part of the conversation today it's midday and it's time for the update at noon sakina happy belated birthday uh, for yesterday i felt so bad i didn't even know it was your birthday but great listening uh, and hearing all the well wishes for you good afternoon